You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is a double feature of the 1982 film Fitzcarraldo and the film about the making of that film from the same year, Burden of Dreams. So this is a film that takes place in the Amazon. You follow a man... Named Brian Sweeney Fitzgerald. He's an Irishman, but nobody can sp- uh, pronounce Fitzgerald, I believe, when the little town he lives in is so everybody calls him Fitzcarraldo. Yes. And he he's uh, kind of this guy who he has this massive love of the opera. The first scene is he goes, he's on this rowboat. Apparently, he says it was a 1,200-mile journey to go to this opera, and his the famous Italian tenor Enrico Caruso is performing there so he gets to see them and that yeah. sort of inspires him his big dream because he lives in Iquitos it's the small city it's kind of like a like a port town a lot of yeah. boats like on the water yeah it's, but he wants to bring an opera house in there yes build an opera house to bring opera bring culture to the small town yes and he has he's done to do this he's kind of done a lot of uh, failed businesses yes like he uh, the Trans-Andean Railways was one thing he was doing, but as we see later on, that failed horribly. Yes. And now he is currently like selling ice, I believe, yeah. and yes. it's not necessarily still going very well, but he still has this dream. Yeah. And he is friends with a woman named Molly. Molly seems somewhat well-off rich because she is a madam of this brothel that caters exclusively to a lot of businessmen. Mm -hmm. And the big thing in this area is the rubber baron. This is the early 20th century, so this is kind of at the boom of the automobiles. Everybody's looking for rubber for tires, and everybody's looking for rubber in these trees. Mm -hmm. And so after trying to get people to invest in an opera house and it's not really working, he decides... To become a rubber baron, yeah, and make this uh, trip down to this river, and he wants to go to the Ukulai River. And as we see through this journey, he has this idea because there's this um, one uncharted territory nobody's touched that supposedly has a lot of rubber that he can get his hands on. And it is the way that it's kind of hard to explain a little bit, but it's well, try. let me try. Yeah. Okay, on the Ukulai. Uh, from uh, the location where uh, Don Aquino, the guy that ends up uh, sponsoring him, right, yes. uh, hit the location where he has his you know rubber empire, so to speak, it's uh, located on, on the other side of some very dangerous falls, right? And uh, south of those very dangerous falls, uh, it's all kinds of territory with all kinds of rubber trees. And Don Aquino would love, of course, to, to acquire that territory and use it. It hasn't been acquired because the falls are there. So he te- he shows them uh, um, Fitzcarraldo yeah, this on a map. And Fitzcarraldo goes, oh, wait a minute. If, if I can uh, go a little further down this river, 
if, if, if I can get into that territory, I can go further down that river, further south, and there's this area where there's kind of a waste formed between that river on one side, uh, some uh, low mountains. They're not real high. It's basically, basically kind of hills. And then on the other side is this other river. Yeah, the Pachatia. The Pachatia that doesn't have any falls and is navigable. So he could take that sucker all the way back up north, deliver the rubber. So he thinks, and by the way, the rubber thing was Molly's idea. She's the one that said, once you try rubber, ice isn't going to cut it. Yeah. Right? Interestingly enough, ice probably in the long run would have been a better thing to do. But uh, anyway, so his, his idea is to, is to take the, uh, and I'm jumping in on it here, no. sorry. But his idea is to uh, take a, a steamboat. Right, which he would he would use um, obviously to deliver that rubber back up the Pachatea. but the trick is you've got to get it from one river to the other over that set of hills. So his idea is to uh, actually winch it over those hills using capstans built on site and manned by uh, indigenous people that he hires. Well, that's the thing. He goes, when you go on this journey, once they get into this native territory and there's fears that the natives are hostile, one of the things that when you hear all this drumming and you wonder if they're about to attack, he has his gramophone and he plays an Enrico Caruso record. Yes. And that sort of calms them down. But even yeah. then, nearly all of his crew abandons ship. Yes. The only people left are him, the uh, the engineer um, Cholo, Cholo who, if you're uh, familiar with the mystery science theater movie The Puma Man, he's one of the guys in that one, so I cracked up watching that. But uh, the captain named Orinoco Paul, right. and then the uh, uh, the cook, the Hirakeke, the cook, the cook yeah. who's a little yeah. bit of a drunk. And a a little bit. He's, yeah. he's sloshed all the time. All the time. <laughs> so it's like he doesn't really, to do this big task, he doesn't know what to do, but all these natives, because they've been intrigued by that record, yeah. decide to help him. and when they have this dinner with him, they yeah. see him as like a, a foretold in a, a prophecy yeah. or something. Yeah, the there, there's a prophecy or a, a myth or something yeah. that the uh, natives um, hold, and he hears this through translation, right, that there will be a, uh, a white man with a large boat who will come at some point and uh, deliver them in some sense from their uh, difficulties. So they believe it's him. And a key point here is uh, the reason that the drums silence after he plays that uh, music is probably because it dawns on somebody in that group that, hey, this might be that prophecy coming true. And just to make sure he doesn't escape and go back down the river, uh, what do they do? Well, they all come out en masse in all their canoes, yeah. but then they also uh, um, uh, take down some trees and make sure they fall in the river so they block the way. So you're always wondering, and I remember I noticed I noticed this watching this, and well, because uh, it's in, it, it, it leaves you with a puzzle that survives most of the rest of the film because you're wondering why they did that. You're thinking that's hostile. You're definitely thinking that's hostile. But then they approach the ship, and they're friendly, and they're almost, like you said, uh, uh, reverential, not quite knowing what to do. So they think maybe he's this god. They're not sure. Eventually, they figure out he isn't, right? But still, they cooperate. They work for him. Uh, uh, he uses their labor to an incredible degree. Yes, yes. The and, big thing in this movie is that he gets that 
300-ton ship up, up and hill. over the hill. Absolutely yeah. incredible. And so just so our, our viewers know, our listeners know, uh, this was actually done yeah, by Werner Herzog. Yeah, no miniature work or special effects. They actually, actually did it. Now, they did cheat a little bit. They had a bulldozer. Yeah. But um, uh, in, in, what's interesting, I don't want to go, go, off, go off on a tangent here, but I will anyway. What's really interesting is uh, uh, the parallel that exists between uh, Fitzcarraldo's willingness to put these people at risk for his dream and Werner Herzog's willingness to put yes. these people at risk for his dream. Uh, you know, I, I wonder about this guy. I, I tend to think that he, he does he always pair a documentary on his films with the actual film? Well, or he's, he's always, done it more than once, yes, right? He's, a, you know. he, he's done an equal amount of documentaries as well as films. He, he, he particularly has this obsession with the jungle because we, yes. those who remember a long time ago, we did a story about um, his movie Rescue Dawn about yes. Peter Dangler. Yeah. And the documentary about the real-life story of Dieter Dangler, and that's the story of him escaping uh, Laos from a yeah. POW camp in Vietnam. Right. And, yeah, he always has that fascination. With, with the jungle, but also, he also has a fascination with, with recording his own efforts in making films. And it seems like he really wants you to, in this particular case, I don't know if it's the case in every documentary he makes paired with film, he really wants you to see the connection between the character in this film and him and how both of them are clearly obsessive mm-hmm. and uh, wanting to uh, uh, carry out their dream, to use the term that's in the uh, documentary, at almost all costs. So I know, again, this is supposed to be a philosophy uh, podcast. I mean, it just really pokes pokes you if you know anything about Immanuel Kant's philosophy, right? They're, categorical imperative one of the big things he says is you should never use other people as mere means to your own ends your own goals your own uh dreams as it were you have to give them sufficient uh respect uh as ends in themselves uh you know look out after their safety pay them well that kind of thing and you know it's interesting you see that kind of tension he's not quite comfortable uh uh any he 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 wants to rationalize his use of the indigenous people in the documentary. You know, he claims he's paying them better than the, they get locally and so forth. So that all that's all engaged. But you know what? The natives in the film are kind of <laughs> using Fitzgeraldo, this is what I was getting at originally, mm-hmm. uh, to their own ends as well. Um, because all uh, at some point they make up their mind, okay, we're going to help him do this. But the only reason we're doing this is because we're going to get that boat over to the other side, and we're going to essentially sacrifice him yes. and the boat yeah, to big, to our uh, to our river god, so that yeah, we'll the, we'll be okay. That's the big you know? thing at the end. They, 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 after all this talking, people die trying yes. to get that thing over the hill. They get it over the hill, and there's a big party because now we can explore this territory. But yeah. meanwhile, everybody's been drinking and everybody's plastered and having fun. They uh, set the boat loose. And towards the rapids, and now they can't do what they set up. To That's do right. And so his 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 big project in, ends up a failure, right? And then he ends up having to sell the boat back to Don Aquino, uh, probably at a loss. I'm, I'm assuming something like I, that. It doesn't really say, but I, I'm assuming so. And the closest he can get to to realizing his dream of bringing culture and opera and Caruso to. Uh, uh, Akitos is he uh, apparently is uh, 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 
transporting an opera company and orchestra. It is Caruso. I'm not sure. I I don't I don't know. That's a good question. We should know that. We should look this up. But uh, so the last long scene, uh, among several long scenes that this movie is comprised of, is that steamboat going down the river. I guess toward Los Aquitos. Um, uh, transporting the uh, performers, and they're up on the top deck performing, and there he is next to them, just enthralled. And <laughs> it's a great ending to the movie, yeah. just just a fantastic movie. Yes, and and yeah, we've talked about it before, but the other one we're talking about is uh, the documentary about the making of the film, Burden yeah. of Dreams. Yeah, and it is just that line between like reality and fiction, and but also I think the two the both films you just see like there's always this somebody pursuing their yes. dreams but the line between having the dream and also just it's insanity like this is going too far and i yes. think this film came out in 1982 this was a big change and this isn't a hollywood film but mm-hmm. in hollywood you saw that at this point the kind of the death of new hollywood you saw these filmmakers making huge passion projects this was near the end when these big passion projects had notorious productions Heaven's yeah. Gate two years early. This epic western was a, a disaster to make. It took them forever. There were the director um, Michael Cimino made outrageous demands. Um, Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people make comparisons to this film and, and his other film um, Aguirre, mm-hmm. Wrath of God, which came out ten years earlier. It, it was also an influence on Apocalypse Now. But you saw these movies like going too far almost with the notorious production yeah and i think the one that really put the nail in the coffin as far as we can't just give directors carte blanche to do whatever they want yeah was a year later with the infamous john landis twilight zone incident yes Yes. he ignored safety results he did terrible things like um paying children under the tables to bypass child labor laws and ignoring safety protocols which resulted in the death of three people yeah yes and interestingly enough, I think that that accounts for uh, the fact that you very rarely see that film on television. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But this one, certainly, it's right up there. I mean, you know more about the history of film. Why do you just did a really good job of uh, kind of summarizing that, that period in history where they were given carte blanche and just literally permission to do anything and spend anything to... Create a film, and uh, uh, amazingly, the people in, in in charge of the studios and so forth, so forth, were not able to predict the results of doing this with these guys. I mean, you can really see it with it with uh, Herzog. Um, he goes years over the schedule, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, pre-production. And this film started in 1977. 77, and the final uh, scene, which was actually the pulling of the ship right over the hill, that wasn't filmed until what 81? Is that yes. right? Um, well, after the cast had left and everything, and uh, I, I saw somewhere that uh, that 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 boat is still in in the jungle now yes, rotting away there's a away. picture of it on yeah. uh, if you look at wikipedia there is a picture of it yeah and um but yeah even just like you the, the documentary they talk about how originally they had shot almost half the film with Jason Robards yes. playing yeah. Fitzcarraldo and a uh, character we don't see in this version but they got rid of it but he was going to have an assistant friend played by Mick Jagger yeah and uh but Robards got sick yep. dysentery he couldn't finish the film and then Mick Jagger had to go do tours and record one of their albums so he couldn't do it anymore yeah. so they had to redo redo the whole, the whole film and, and then there was the story i think of 
They had originally place they had planned. They didn't go through proper permission for the local tribes. And the local tribes were spreading stuff that if you shoot this here, these these Germans are going to kill you. And they, yeah. they even showed like they were showing pictures of Holocaust atrocities yes. because they're German. So yes. they think, oh, Nazis are going to do this. Yes. And you think of all just the other. I mean. And, and that that actually ha- that was repeated again. It, they had moved. They had to move like two thousand miles away and shoot somewhere else with allegedly more friendly and uh, less paranoid uh, tribes. But even those tribes, you can see, there's that portion of the documentary where the the woman is ex- explaining that uh, people were telling them the exact same sorts of things about uh, Herzog and his crew and. Uh, I don't think she ever took it seriously, but still, there was this, that attempt to do that. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's amazing. Uh, it's it's a uh, testimony to the uh, to the lengths uh, Herzog will go, and I guess he's just typified people in that era to create his art, right? And so you have these interesting ethical questions that um, come up: uh, just how far is too far? When you're yeah. attempting to do this, and because the thing that really bugged me in this one, uh, and it, it, it's a, a ethical, uh, I think, an ethical lapse similar to that Landis uh, uh, fell into, was that scene in the documentary where he's sitting down and he is going over his plans for the winch system, the capstan system, and that uh, bulldozer. Uh, to pull the ship uh, over the hill. And he has a local engineer, a Brazilian engineer. And the guy's basically telling him, look, you've got a 30% chance of success, a 70% chance of disaster, because you're attempting to do something that I've told you can only be done on an incline of 20 degrees. You're wanting to do it over 40 I can't go along with this. The guy leaves, you know, because of his engineering ethics, uh, admirably, I would say, his, his ethical principles do not allow him to go on with this. Now, Herzog still chooses to do it with that risk. And, and there you, were injuries and deaths. And deaths. Yes. Yeah, and, and you even see a hint of that in the documentary, but also in the film when... Uh, we know from the documentary they've, they've got the boat kind of starting up the incline, uh, and then you can see him yelling action or something, and so the bulldozer starts up, and they start to pull it up, and then he directs uh, um, Kinski to get these local indigenous people that are acting right now, you know, uh, get out of get from under the ship, get out from under the ship. They're all there. They're staged there as part of the scene, mm-hmm. right, where there's a risk they could get crushed in real life. Right, get out, get out, get out. So they they rush and get out, and you see the ship starting to jar and, and move forward up the hill, and then he's they're directed to celebrate uh, uh, Kinski and and the, and the guy playing Hirakake, right? And they're celebrating, and you see and you see this in the film too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. As they're celebrating, you see the ship stops and then it slides back. Yeah, we know that from the documentary, the the cables have snapped. And the pulley, which is a big, heavy object, fortunately for them, did not swing around and kill somebody. Fortunately for them, the ropes did not swing around and kill somebody. But he was willing to do that for the cause of creating this. He he refused to work with miniatures. He wanted to have the real thing. And that really, I think, 
for me, um, uh, is an interesting case of, uh, I think, intentional mirroring on uh, uh, Herzog's part. He wants you to think about whether or not Fitzcarraldo was correct in doing this. But then he it's almost, I think you have to describe it this way, he's got the gall, the nerve, to put himself in that position as well yes. in the documentary and have you considered as if it's just that piece of art when it's real life. You're, you're risking these people's lives, Werner. You might want to think about that. I you mean, because you're definitely, because even with that time period, but even this, you're having, like that time period, these rubber barons from Europe um, coming over, exploiting these indigenous native people to get this rubber, not yeah. paying them well. And, yeah. And it's interesting, even the documentary, one of the things Herzog was talking about paying them, but also the bringing up how the Amazon rainforest is dying. I think they said by the year 2010, if the yeah. all, with, all the chopping, all the work that's been going on, the Amazon will be completely gone by 2010. Yeah. He even says, yes, but you're also kind of exploiting them, too. <laughs> yes. like you're putting them in danger. You're yes. not necessarily and, paying and, them very well. Yeah, and you, well, you, and you see the same sort of rationalizations on his part that you would have seen with the rubber barons. Well, you know, these people are still much better off with us here paying them and uh, introducing some elements of civilization than they would have been without us, right? Mm -hmm. And you can kind of see Fitzcarraldo thinking along the same lines as well. I think that's part of the reason he's attracted to uh, the ice business. He sees the potential there, I think, for uh, you know food preservation and things like that, and how that that might be of a, a betterment to the indigenous people. But all of that's an uneasy tension with the fact that they are essentially <laughs> a, a capitalists trying to uh, look for a way to make a quick buck and a, a lot of quick bucks, right? Um, and yeah, so I think that's the probably the main ethical uh, uh, tension here. He, he wants to present that. Yeah. I think, and to his credit, he wants he he's willing to make you question him, or Herzog, that is. Um, but still, I think, I think he kind of went I too mean, far. You're even thinking about, particularly with Herzog's dream and uh, Fitzcarraldo's dream, it's is this something that even the natives want? Do the natives care that much about opera, or even like even Enrico Caruso, that they would want to? Would they go to an opera house if it was built, or would they just? Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not part of their culture. Opera yeah. is mainly originated from European culture. So would they want want that? And even same thing with these natives that have worked on the film. Would they have gone to the theater to see Fitzcarraldo? Yeah. Or did they even like movies? Yes. And it, it reminds me a bit of a, you know, a long time ago we did the film uh, Black Robe. That's what it was called, right? Yes. And it, that's about Europeans spreading Christianity to native tribes in America. Yeah. And it's almost like... You're, you're, it's like the same thing. You're trying to sell them on something they may not even want. Yeah, and uh, there, uh, that is actually never addressed by Fitzcarraldo because I don't think it's a primary interest of his. Um, he wants to put the he wants to, to put the opera in uh, Iquitos so that he can turn around and say, "Look, my hometown has culture." Right, yes. he doesn't care too much about who the audience actually is. I th I think he's he's pretty much resigned to the fact that it'll be people like Don Aquino, who are uh, of European ancestry and and uh, uh, kind of uh, constitute the, the the business world in that area, right? And probably uh, the, the seat of political power, the people in the seat of political power, 
in that area. And that's all he really actually cares about. Um, although, you know, there is a countervailing scene, though. Remember when after he and Molly have, uh, I believe they've had that party. I can't remember exactly what part of the film it was, but he says, I've got to get back home. And keep in mind, he lives on one of these uh, river houses that are up on stilts out in the open air. And why does he say he wants to get back home? He wants to play the kids, his Caruso records. So, you know, having said what I just said, there might, there might be, be an element there of yeah. uh, he thinks there's genuine interest here, and I, I, I do want to expose them to something I consider to be beautiful. Um, and you see the kids are kind of taken with it. Yeah, and they are. The natives in the and the natives are. to listen to the record. Yes. Plays it. So, you know, again, this is a complex character. There aren't any simplistic uh, uh, resolutions to these tensions, but they're there. And uh, maybe the answer to your question is, yeah, over the long term, they might become interested in that. And uh, you know, the t- talking about this, what I like about the documentaries, because you know Herzog always has this, you know, this voice. He's probably one of the most imitated, parodied, impression, impression d- directors of all time. But he has this rant about because everybody by that point is fed miserable. Up. Yeah. Klaus Kinski, who was a psychopath in real life, goes on numerous tangents throughout the film. <laughs> he, the natives hated him so much that I think they legitimately offered. To kill yes. Kinski for Werner Herzog, and Herzog says, "No, I'd need him for the film. That's, that's the only reason." Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. and the, but um, the director of the documentary, Les Blank, mm-hmm. at the point he was so fed up, was like, "At this point, I don't even care if they get the film done." He was, yeah. he, he was fed up, but yeah. he gets Herzog to go on this rant about how cruel the Amazon is, yes. and he says, "It is base. It is disgusting. It is murder." Because <laughs> one of the things he also does because he likes the jungles uh, his films are always about what happens when you go against nature yeah. one of his documentaries was a grizzly bear activist named timothy treadwell mm-hmm. and he had this thing where he thinks he could get away with spending time with bears and living in close vicinity with them and you know he was predictable a, results yeah, predictable <laughs> result i'll just say that but it is that both films of going against nature where yeah you're not if you're not listening to people and actually bringing this thing up a hill yeah. The, the Amazon's going to kill you. It's, it's going to get, get you. you. Yes. Even Fitzcarraldo in that same thing. Like, yeah, it's going to get you. Nature, yes. In the end, nature will always win. Yes. And uh, clearly, you're right. That, that seems to be an element in his films. And getting back to uh, uh, Rescue Dawn, uh, the, same, the same thing happens there, I think. It, it, once uh, Dingler and his partner, I can't remember his name, escape and are trying to make their way somewhere where they can be rescued he spends a lot of time in that film just portraying to you the enveloping uh, nature of the jungle and how insignificant and powerless they are against it and you can certainly see that here and you can kind of see him indulging in that it's almost a self-indulgence in this film oh definitely and the thing is again i think it's intentional I think it's intentional, and uh, he's wanting to make himself as much a character in the film or the pair of films mm-hmm. as he wants to make Fitzcarraldo. 
And I think that's, if I'm not mistaken, you know more about Herzog than I do. That's kind of run, a running he, theme with him, yeah, right? Whenever he makes a documentary, he, he, there's a lot, except for, interestingly enough, uh, the Dieter Needs to Fly documentary. True. He doesn't insert himself, especially with his voiceover narration as much, but when you're watching Grizzly Man or uh, the encounters at the end of the world when he's going to a base in Antarctica or Cave of Forgotten Dreams or all these other famous documentaries, he is definitely inserting yeah. himself. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's it's funny when you watch, because when he acts in something like the Mandal- the first season of The Mandalorian, it's still, he has that Herzog voice <laughs> and that deep German voice. Like you say, it's almost impossible not to think of the parodies when you, yes. when you listen to him. And uh, one of the Getting close to the end of my questions here, one of the things I did want to bring up is that this is loosely based on a true story. Yes. Carlos Fitzcarraldi was a rubber baron around the same time, but interestingly, he did do this. There was even called the Fitzcarraldi Isthmus or something. Yes. A place where he pulled it off, but he... He had more common sense. Yeah, it wasn't his, his ship wasn't as big, and he just took it apart piece by piece and just put it back together. Right, right. And, uh... Uh, I can't remember the conquistador's name. This reminded me of the famous story. Was it Cortez? Cortez, yeah. Cortez did something similar when he needed to get his uh, uh, ships a- across land uh, to get into better attacking position uh, vis-a-vis the Aztecs and took them apart piece by piece and hauled them overland, an incredible feat. Um why wouldn't Fitzcarraldo do that? Or why wouldn't Herzog have him do that and be a little closer to history? I don't know, because that could have been well uh, portrayed dramatically. Uh, I think the answer is, you know, he just wanted to have, because he's thinking of this aesthetically, like it's an uh, act of art, right? And he wants to have the most uh, seemingly impossible object um, um, attained, because that gives you more emotional power, more, more of a uh, contrast of the power of the human being being able to do that against all odds, against the jungle, still able to do that. Um, so that's some sort of, I think he's thinking of that. That's some cor- sort of lesson about the human spirit. And there is always that obsession with the Amazon in pursuing something, because for years there was the dream of El Dorado, yes. the city of gold. And even um, around the same time, there was a famous explorer named British explorer named Percy Fawcett. Fawcett had this uh, belief that there was this hidden city in the Amazon that nobody was able to discover yet, but had, you know, advanced. It was an advanced civilization nobody would find, or yeah. this hidden ancient civilization. He yeah. spent years, and eventually in 1925, he went missing, and nobody ever found him, and nobody really knows. Yeah. His thing was the Lost City of Z, if you're familiar with the book yes. and the movie. Yes. But there's still always that allure of the Amazon. And because it's, it's unexplored, yeah. yeah. It's, it's essentially unexplored, and even with satellites, you don't know what the hell's under that jungle canopy. You don't. And even with advanced technology, it's very difficult to find those remains of ancient civilizations. They're there. Right, and you can you, you can always look up the the remarkable before and after photographs of Mayan civilization ruins, uh, just as they were discovered, totally enveloped by the jungle, uh, and then after painstaking restoration, uh, you get a an element or a, a feeling of the the grandeur of that architecture and that civilization, and 
the amazing accomplishment it was for them to carve their civilization out of that unforgiving jungle. Um, this is something I think humans find uh, uh, alluring. Right? So when you're Herzog and then you lose the illusion, you think it's disgusting, <laughs> it's cruel, yes. it's base. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you, you always think of uh, the use of uh, uh, Mayan uh, temples in Star Wars, too. It's there. Remember that? Yeah, the Yavin Four yeah. Days, right? Right, yeah. I think it was Tikal they used. I can't recall, but interesting. All right. Anything, uh, getting close to my questions, anything else you want to bring up before we sign off? Something kind of funny. Uh, I, I noticed the, I, I think the film, if Robards and Jagger had gone, been able to complete it, I think it would have had a different feel to it. Yeah. Because that one little scene you see in the documentary, uh, you get a sense of Robards who had kind of a jocular uh, personality. That comes through, so so does it with uh, Jagger. So I, I think you would have had a, a much different tone or mood in that film. I'm not sure it would have and been good. I don't know either. Um, but the end result, just this this cracks me up about this film. Um, you, you have toward the beginning, you know, when you're having exposition happening and characters kind of introducing themselves to you, um, uh, uh, Klaus Kinski... Uh, says, yeah, my name's Fitzgerald. Uh, my mother was Irish. Um, and, you know, he explains the Fitzcarraldo name because the natives can't pronounce Fitzgerald, right? But all along, I'm thinking, okay, this man's supposed to be Irish. He's got, <laughs> he looks as Teutonic as he possibly... There, he can't look any more Teutonic. He looks very German, and he's got a very thick German accent. Uh, isn't anybody going to notice this? But that's a, a glaring, uh, glaring evidence of he was the second option for this film, and, and Herzog decided to go ahead with it, even though there was he this comes from the German part of it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But uh, anyway, I, I still I, I know Kinski's kind of a basket case, or was a basket case, but I still think he does a good job in the film and uh, kind of portraying this guy's. Uh, uh, Kind of his lifelong dream and uh, his dedication to it, and he's got even though he's Teutonic, you know, German, very German, and very serious. And uh, there's a points in the film where you can kind of see him playing this with with a little bit of a childlike wonder at wow, I'm being able to do this, or wow, I'm in the jungle here working with these natives and so forth. That comes through once in a while. And so for that reason, I think he actually ends up being pretty good for the role. But I would have, if it was me suggesting how to alter the script, I would have made him a German. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. You can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics of the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, which episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at soundasinema.automatic.com. For our next episode, we will be discussing the 2003 film Shattered Glass. Be sure to, if you don't want to be spoiled, be sure to watch that one before our next episode comes out. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying, 
It's a land that God, if he exists, has created in anger. It's the only land where creation is unfinished yet. Taking a close look at it, and what's around us here, there is some sort of a harmony. It is the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder.